Hi everyone, and welcome to the Master Investors Podcast. Today's guest is undoubtedly one of the UK's most accomplished and successful private investors. He was one of the UK's first ISA millionaires, and his book, How to Make a Million Slowly, is a must-read for anyone managing their own portfolio of shares. But before we get started, please take a few moments to listen to our disclaimer. The value of investments can go down as well as up, so you may get back less than you invest. The information in this podcast is not a personal recommendation for any particular investment. If you are unsure about the suitability of an investment, you should speak to an authorised financial advisor. Past performance is not a reliable indicator of future returns. Welcome to the show, everybody. My name is James Faulkner. I'm the editor of Master Investor Magazine. Uh, I've got a very special guest for you today. Uh, I'm joined by Lord Lee of Trafford. He's a very notable investor. He's famous for writing the book, How to Make a Million Pounds Slowly. I think you were one of the first ISA millionaires, John, is that right? I was, I was judged to be the first ISA millionaire <laughs> in, in 2003. Um, whether I was or not, I don't know, but no one challenged that. So um, I think that's been reasonably accepted anyway. Okay. Well, we're very privileged to have you on the show today. Thank you. Just to begin with, what, what sparked your interest in the stock market as a, as a, as a young lad? And what are your earliest memories of investing? I suppose my earliest memories really are of watching my father uh, in action. He was a, a doctor in uh, Manchester, a general practitioner. He enjoyed the stock market uh, and investing his modest savings. And I used to remember him really sitting down in, in what became his library, pipe in mouth, surrounded by piles of the Investors Chronicle and the Stock Exchange Gazette, which is no longer published. And he would spend hours going through these publications. And I initially, I was probably uh, 14, 15, I used to pull his leg a little bit about it. <laughs> uh, and then I started to delve a little bit myself. Uh, I remember I bought my first share when I was, I think, 16. I put £45 into a company called Aviation and Shipping, which was a shipping company uh, who owned one ship. And I'm afraid, the unfortunately, the, the ship went down and my £45 went down with it. <laughs> a bit of a baptism it was, of fire. <laughs> it, was not the, it was not the most auspicious uh, investing uh, start. But, um, you know, over the, over the years, I've really focused on being a private investor. Uh, um, it's been a, an all-embracing interest, a, a hobby. Over the years, as you say, I've, um, I've written probably 300 articles or so for... Uh, FT Money, published two books. In 2013, Pearson has published the book How to Make a Million Dash Slowly, with a tortoise on the front, yeah. <laughs> which was about brick-by-brick brick investing, which is what I believe in, taking the long view. And more recently, uh, I published a book called Yummy Yogurt, uh, A First Taste of Stock Market Investment, which I believe is the first book of its type focused on uh, teenagers mm -hmm on endeavouring to, to explain the basics of, of the stock market to the young and indeed to novices as well. And, and that it's only a, a short book, rather like a primer, 35, 40 pages, uh, and it's told through a story uh, of a Devon farming family who's, who start a, a yoghurt manufacturing business to supplement the farm income, and that grows and becomes a public company. And um, there's a family in Barry Lancashire, Three teenage children, they inherit two and a half thousand pounds from their grandparents. They're not sure what to do with the money. Their parents encourage them to think about the stock market. They enjoy yummy products, 
So when Yemi goes public, they apply for shares in it and the company grows and is ultimately successful. So it's told through a, a little simple story and then the, the, you know, there's a glossary of uh, you know, what a balance sheet is, what an annual general meeting is, how you calculate a dividend yield, how you calculate a price earnings ratio. It's only short, um, rather like a primer, as I say, and I'm saying to young people uh, with this book, through this book, give me a couple of hours of your time and I think I'll have taught you the basics yeah. of stock market investment. Of course, it's very important as well because we, we don't really teach kids in schools how to look after their own personal finances. It's a big gap this in is the curriculum, the, this isn't is, it? This is a huge problem uh, nationally. There's very little teaching in, in schools. And so you will have a lot of young people starting out with their own careers who might want to invest themselves. But also there'll be a lot of young people who at some stage will inherit share portfolios of varying sizes from their parents or grandparents or godparents uh, and most of them you know without uh, education or without uh, a book like mine won't really um, you know have the, have the knowledge to handle it properly and what i want to do is to give them uh, some basic knowledge so that they will at least be able to understand what their wealth manager or stockbroker or, or bank manager or similar is is saying mm and possibly putting them in a position so they can challenge one or two of the things that are recommended. If they want to go on, uh, there are many more, more advanced books that they can read and city columns they can read. But even if they just stop after reading uh, my, my little book, Yummy Yogurt, they at least will have the basics of yeah. it. And you started your career as an accountant. Yes, I left school at, uh, I went to grammar school in Manchester. I left school at 16. I went to the accountant's office qualified when I was 21, 21, 22, and then I joined a stockbroking firm in Manchester, did a couple of years there, uh, and then I left and set up a company of my own uh, with one or two others, um, but I was a, sort of the main executive, so, so company specializing in amalgamations and mergers. Yeah. And in a way, it's because I hail from Manchester and from the regions that I've always been very attracted to the regional companies, to the smaller cap yeah. stocks, as it were, um, the stocks that are rather uh, less well covered by analysts. And so uh, over the years, uh, I've really built up uh, my portfolio. And then, of course, when, when PEPS came along, the precursor of ISAs, uh, I started in, I think it was 1987, um, building up my, my PEP. So parallel to, uh, you know, to the, the various careers I've had in, in broking and then um, with the, the business that I built up, the development of small investment banking group, and then through my years in politics, parallel to all that, I've really, um, you know, as a, a mainline hobby in a, in a way, focused on uh, the stock market and personal investment in uh, our quoted small cap stocks. And do you think that, um, I mean, being professionally involved in, in the corporate world and the, the stock market, do you, think, do you think that that's given you any kind of edge as a, as a private investor? Because I'm interested that in, in your book you say that anyone can be a successful investor as long as they have patience and a bit of common sense. Yes, I, and I really believe that. I mean, I, I've been investing now probably for 60 years or so. Uh, and um, you know, one, one looks back uh, at, at you know, how one's uh, approached one's investing life, what I've learned, the techniques that one's gradually honed, as it were. I mean, we all make mistakes. Uh, you know, believe me, I've made, I've made mistakes uh, and still make mistakes. You know, no one gets, gets everything 
uh, gets everything right. But I've come to the conclusion that to be a successful investor, you, you really just need two things, common sense and patience. Yeah. Common sense and patience, and the most important is patience. <laughs> and sadly, that's what too few investors have these days. You know, they see a profit uh, and they feel, you know, they want to take it. Whereas really, uh, to make serious money, uh, you, you want to try and invest in, in a, you know, a good solid growing business, stay with it for the, uh, for the, for the long term. In other words, I, th I encourage people to be, and I like to think of myself as an investor rather than a, a short term trader, yeah. treating the stock market as, a, as a, some sort of casino, mm. which, it, which it's not. What I like to do is to is to buy shares in a company, and I don't. One of the keys is to try and avoid the losses, and okay. thus I, I personally don't invest in startups. I don't invest in contracting businesses now. I don't invest in exploration stocks or mining stocks, and I don't invest in biotech mm. businesses. Now, all those sectors will will produce and deliver some very profitable companies and businesses, but they are for for the specialists, as it were, who focus yeah. on those particular areas. And, and I'm more of a generalist, so I avoid those areas. And I'm only interested really in investing in companies in coming in at a later stage when the companies are already trading and established, are already making profits, are already paying dividends, mm. and um, are, are what I term proper proper businesses. Uh, that's and, interesting because um, a lot of private investors, I think when they come into, especially when they're looking at small caps, they get drawn into looking at these speculative companies such as the oil and gas explorers, as you mentioned, and the biotech companies. Do you think that's where a lot of small cap investors go wrong because they're drawn into these kind I mean, of I, well, I'm hot stocks, as I'm, it were? I'm absolutely. I'm absolutely yeah. convinced that that is where they, they go wrong because you know, if we take the biotech area, for example, it's it's a very specialist area. Your your average person who's got no particular background in in that in that area is purely reliant on, on you know on tips or gossip or things written in city columns, and they may get some right, but they they you know they they I'm afraid um, will probably suffer some pretty horrendous losses as well. Mm. And the secret about building up a a long term portfolio, my judgment is to very much avoid the losses. You know, everyone will get certain investments right, but, but on the other hand, it's, it's the losses that drag overall performance down, and therefore if you can cut out the losses, then your overall performance obviously is, is, is that much better. Mm. And we've spoken about the companies that you, you don't like, the type of companies that you don't tend to look at. The ones that you do like, often um, they tend to be companies where the, the founding family has got a quite a significant shareholding, or at least the, the, the management has got a, a, a sizable holding. Would you argue that family ownership brings with it a kind of a, a long-term approach and a kind of like proprietorial yes, mindset? Yes, yes I, 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 that is absolutely right, James. Yes, absolutely. I mean, yes, we all know historically of the clogs to clogs in three generations, <laughs> you know, the families that, that made money and then yeah. the generations lost money. But of course, the, the, the what I term the family or proprietorial public companies that are around now have really been built up through the generations and probably have a mix of family members and also professional managers running them, which is in many respects an ideal combination. But what I like about family businesses that, that are controlled by a family is that normally those businesses, to use a word that I like, are carefully stewarded. 
in other words, that the, the generation running the business were determined to move it forward, but to move it forward at a steady pace without taking great risks, because they're very conscious of, of members of the family, maybe maiden aunts or sisters who aren't in the business, but are reliant on the dividends. Mm. And so there is a, an overall conservative approach to building up. But you mentioned a little bit earlier, investing in companies where the people running the business have significant stakes in the business. Yeah. And to me, that is absolutely crucial. Yeah. You know, I won't invest in companies unless those running the businesses have significant stakes themselves. Yeah. In other words, you know, skin in the game skin is, in the is game. A, fra a phrase <clears throat> that's used. And for me, the bigger holdings, the better. Uh, and I love to see chief executives with the founder of business maybe you know owning 20 25 percent of the of the shares because you know they they they're devoting their life to building up the business and at some stage they probably will want to capitalize as well mm. on the on their life's work and so it's very probable that a takeover will come along at some yeah. stage and I've over the years been on the receiving end of of over 50 wow. takeovers <laughs> and have obviously benefited from that. Now, you can argue that, that one would have preferred some of those companies to continue growing yeah. and not be taken over. But, uh, you know, one's got to accept that if you look at the way the post-war uh, world in the West has gone, you, you really had many larger companies taking over smaller companies and medium-sized companies, and yeah. that has been the, the pattern. But my ideal is to find companies that are growing on a conservative basis. Maybe I just focus on UK quoted companies, but I'm looking for UK quoted companies that trade globally. So um, uh, you know, they'll be trading on a worldwide basis, taking advantage of the, the faster growing markets in the, in the Far East or in the Middle East, but with U UK standards of corporate governance. Right. And so you know, I'm looking for, for these, these established, growing mini global businesses that, that have growth uh, and uh, also um, you know, have real value and, and take over potential as well, taking the long-term view. Yeah, and you also like valuations, earnings multiples to be quite low Modest. Right? Modest. when you initially in, invest. That is right. It's a much, it, that is a much safer way of, of investing, in, nearer the ground, as it were. If you if you invest in companies that are that are on price earnings ratios of you know thirty forty fifty as it were, yeah. that's very dangerous. And and I regard it as uh, the phrase I use is investing on the high wire. Yeah. And if there's a pause in that growth of that business, uh, which is very highly valued, mm -hmm. the, the shares will come down quite dramatically, as we've seen with ASOS. Yeah. Uh, and we've seen also more recently with Fever Tree as well, which is also mm -hmm. very highly valued, it's a huge success story. Yeah. But nevertheless, you know, the price got rather ahead of, uh, ahead of reality. Yeah. Uh, so I much prefer getting in, hopefully before a company is, is really discovered and rated. Uh, and ideally what, what one is looking for uh, is a business that initially is modestly rated, that grows year on year in terms of profits growth and dividend growth. Uh, but then at some stage is subsequently re-rated uh, onto a higher price earnings ratio regarded more highly by investors. Yeah. So you get the, the double whammy as yeah. it were, <laughs> of both profits growth and re-rating and you get a sort of a two and two makes five type situation. You know? Yeah. You're also not frightened to hold quite large oversized positions in your portfolio. Um, I think I remember 
reading somewhere that one stock accounted for 40% of your portfolio yeah, at one exactly. point. I don't think it was ever quite as high as that. Yeah. But I mean, certainly my, my, if you take my ISA, for example, my largest holding is a company called Treat, T-R-E-A-T-T, right. in flavors and fragrances, which is a business that I've had uh, for probably 15, 20 years. And I've actually built up that holding on about 30 separate occasions. Uh, and I, I, I like to get to know the companies that I'm investing in. I like to meet the management either, going, either through going to an annual meeting or, or meeting them if I can on a one-to-one basis. And so I get to know the business uh, and uh, I like to build up those holdings from a, an initial small size if I've got particular faith in them. Uh, and I'd much rather build up an existing holding rather than, you know, over-broaden a portfolio. Right. So I think the ideal number in a portfolio is probably not more than about 15 stocks. All right. Because I don't believe that you, you can regard them all uh, as being as attractive. There are some that you really have great yeah. faith in, as it were, uh, and I believe you should you should back those. And so today, Treat, for example, represents about 20% of my ISA. And I've got others, Tarsus, which has just recently been taken over in events and exhibitions. Uh, and um, uh, Charles Taylor, in insurance services, which is currently in a takeover situation, you know, they they probably represent in each case about ten percent of my overall ISA. So I believe in 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 getting to know a company, and if you like it and believe in it, it's delivering, stay with it and build it up. I think many private investors would probably probably be quite nervous to hold such a concentrated portfolio. Um, and it kind kind of goes against what we're taught as investors in terms of you know diversification. And you look at most fund managers' portfolios; they've got you know forty plus stocks in there, haven't they? Yes, they have. They have. Uh, but I actually believe that is that is too many um, Di- diversification. Well, it, well yes, it's, it's, it's not actually it's, it's not actually a great strength because if you have that range of stuff, you cannot believe that all the forty. Yeah. are of the same qualities. You cannot logically have the same belief in all of them, as it yeah. were. There have to be some that you believe in more than, than others. Uh, and I think if you've got quite a range there, you'll probably end up with some that do well, uh, others that don't do too well, and some that you know do very poorly. So you probably have more of a, um, an average overall performance, whereas I'm tending to go for larger holdings and these are, don't forget, these are established businesses that have been around a long time. Uh, and I'm also, I also like um, companies that uh, have cash on the balance sheet. Yeah. I avoid, uh, by and large, companies that are heavily indebted because that is, once again, a risk. Mm-hmm. And I'm a very much um, a risk-averse investor. investor. I've really built up my portfolios within the ISA and outside the ISA by conservative Brick by brick investing, taking the taking the long view. And talking about these these stocks where the double whammies, as you call them, where you've got the you know the low valuation to begin with, and the, the potential for Rebrating, rating expansion, yes, yes. but also earnings growth at the same time. Yeah. How do you go about finding those sorts of situations? Is it just a case of sort of patiently combing your way through you know RNS statements every day or yes how do, how do you it's, find it's those a, well it's a stocks. mix I mean obviously over the, over the years I've built up a pretty comprehensive knowledge of most companies that have been quoted for some time there are a whole mass of new aimed companies that I that I'm totally unaware of and most of those are, are sort of what I term hope and prayer stocks as it were <laughs> so it, it's the established companies that I'm, I'm tending to focus on 
Uh, and so one builds up one's knowledge by reading city columns, reading publications. There are quite a number of publications now that one can uh, one can read. Making a modest purchase of a particular uh, share, and then phoning the company and saying, "You know, I've just become a shareholder. Could you could you send me a copy of the last annual report?" Maybe going along to the AGM. So building up, building up. Um, I like to describe it as building a jigsaw on a particular company. So one of the pieces would be, you know, the the quality of the directors and have they got a good stake in the business. Yeah. Another would be the sector that they're in. Another would be the price earnings ratio. Another would be the dividend yield. Another would be the profits record. And also, very importantly, the the last comments of the of the chairman or chief executive and the last report. In other words, you know, if if the in the in the in the last report the chairman says, you know, we're now something like we're now well positioned to take advantage of the next upturn in the economy. Well, you know, there's not a great deal to go for, yeah. you, you know, and it, it's going to be a fairly, a fairly dull, sluggish performance over the next couple of years. Yeah. You know, if on the other hand you read a report and it's it's very bullish, there's a company at the moment uh, that I've just recently invested in called Goodwins, who are a, a specialist engineering company, worldwide business, terrific growth record, family control business, ticks a lot of boxes. Uh, rather more highly valued than I normally invest in, right. but nevertheless, and and in, in the chairman's report, he, he's he's saying uh, something like, "quote, you know, we've never been better positioned to um, you know to go forward, as it were." Uh, and so, you know, one is one is looking to understand the language of particular companies as well. Mm. As a member of the House of Lords, obviously you've got your finger on the pulse in terms of politics. Is is it helpful as an investor to spend much time paying attention to the world of politics or is it a hindrance do you think is it a distraction uh, i wouldn't say it's a, a, a distraction because obviously you know world events um political events internationally the macro situation domestic situation can clearly uh, clearly uh, you know Im- impact on the success of companies and the opportunities but i don't tend to over focus on on uh, on those things really i'm much more focused on the on the particular business. And if we come back to the, the smaller cap stocks that I'm investing in, even though the, the overall world climate may be not conducive to, to growth, the smaller companies can still grow yeah. as it were. The niche um, businesses. The niche well, businesses yeah. can, still, can still grow and expand. And you also, I think, too frequently, uh, if you apply, sometimes I say to people, you know that, that you, they apply too much intelligence to the, the you know the, the problem. You know you can argue yourself out of investing in almost any business. Yeah. You can say, well, you know, I'm concerned about the the, uh, the American American negotiations with China and, and possible problems there. There's always a reason not and to I'm worried invest. About, exactly, and I'm worried about Iran, and then what about North Korea, and then there's you know the, there's the, there's this and there's that. And you have to work on the basis that that. The, the Western world will, by and large, become more prosperous and grow. Uh, otherwise, you just can't operate. You, you can't. In other words, you, 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 if you if you believe that, that Armageddon's coming and the world is ending, I'm not sure what you do. I yeah. mean, do you, do you hide under the bed with yeah. a crate of whiskey <laughs> and a bar of gold, as it were? I think your investments probably be the last thing on well, your exactly, mind. Well, exactly, exactly, <laughs> exactly. So you have to take a, a reasonably optimistic view. So I, uh, over the years, I mean, I've been in 
investing uh, and I've seen bull markets and bear markets and, and some savage falls in the market from time to time. But so long as you can take the long view and you're investing your own money yeah. and not, not borrowing money to invest, which is very dangerous, you can afford to, to take the long view. Uh, and certainly I've done very well where the market has fallen substantially and I've been in position then you know, to buy uh, on, on some quite attractive levels of, of stock price. Yeah, and I think it's it's really encouraging as a as a private investor that you've managed to achieve such a an impressive performance uh, track record as a part time investor. While you obviously simultaneously got Do quite a yeah, well, yes. <laughs> and obviously many of our listeners are going to take heart from that because you know they're, they're private investors by and large. Um, how much time do you actually devote to um, to your investing activities? Yeah, it's very difficult to say, actually. Um, I mean, I always, uh, I have a, a routine now. Um, so I, at 7 o'clock, I check the, you know, the RNS or company announcements of the day mm. to, you know, to see if any of my stocks have been, uh, you know, been affected by any announcement, mm. first thing. I then normally, um, at about quarter past eight, speak to my stockbroker uh, and just check on any price movements. And then throughout the day, you know, I might just check on one or two prices. And at the end of the day, I get from my broker a, a printout of, of the prices that I'm interested in, my own prices, as right. it were. And um, then uh, from time to time, obviously, I read a company's annual report. Each day I will read the city columns of uh, one or two of the, the major daily papers or an evening paper. And then at the weekends, obviously, one, you know, one plugs into some of the city comes. But, um, you know, to me, it's a great hobby and, and you know, I enjoy it. Mm. And, and I think to be a successful investor, private investor, you've actually got to enjoy it. You've got to find it interesting. Yeah. You've got to want to spend a little time, as it were. And if you don't, then best, best you know, invest in funds and let someone else take all the decisions. Yeah. I think you do have to enjoy it, otherwise you're not really going to devote the time. But it's not going to take just take a huge amount of time. But uh, you know, I, I find, as I say, to me, it's a it's a sort of a it's always been a mainline hobby and interest. Uh, and uh, there are so many other private investors that I meet at, at uh, investor conferences, as it were, or, or some who, who write to me, and they also equally get the you know the pleasure yeah. uh, and the interest from doing it, and hopefully also. The, the, the financial success that comes with it if you get it reasonably right. Yeah. Speaking of, of funds and investment trusts, is there any situation where you would invest in a, a collective investment vehicle? For example, if you were looking to get access to a certain theme or, or sector that yes, you were... Yes, I, I mean, I can see that, uh, that, that people find this quite, you know, quite attractive. So, you know, if they believe in the, in the growth in, in world healthcare, for the yeah. sake of argument, uh, investing in a healthcare fund, or if they... You know, believe that that India offers great opportunities to, to, to invest in an Indian fund or, or, or what have you. But I've always personally found much greater pleasure from taking my own decisions and going into individual individual companies. You know, one's got to remember that a lot of these funds that are sort of put together by investment houses, they you know they're designed to attract investors. Uh, and of course, um, you know some perform better than others. Um, but of course, you are paying fees as well, usually at the start when you first invest, and then on an annual basis. Yeah. Whereas, as a private investor, 
obviously you pay commission when you buy and sell, but but there is no other cost. And um, I try, I'm really, I suppose, an evangelist for the private investor trying to encourage individuals to yeah. take their own decisions and to say to them, you know, it's not too difficult. You don't need to be, you know, a, a whiz kid accountant. You don't <laughs> need to be, uh, you know, a brilliant this, that, or the other, as it were. You know, but if you apply common sense and patience, then you can achieve. What's your greatest investment success, would you say? I mean, very difficult, very difficult to say the, the greatest. Uh, I uh, had a, a number where, um, you know, where, where they've risen probably, you know, 20 times. Yeah. Uh, a 20 bagger. A 20 bagger. <laughs> I, I had a number of 10 baggers. Uh, I mean, 20 bagger, for example, um, a company called James Fisher, yeah. who originally bought years ago um, when they just operated a, a small fleet of coastal tankers from Barrow and Furness, and um, and then developed uh, have, have developed into a major global marine services company yeah. with, with substantial underwater technology. Still a holding in your portfolio? No, I sold them because I they weren't in my ISA, and I had to realise some money two or three years ago to help my daughters with that, buying a house. Ah, right, okay. So, <laughs> so unfortunately, I had to pay... The bank of mum and dad. I sold, and I'm afraid I've just had to pay, you know, a, a serious capital gains bill. But um, fortunately, other, other growth stocks that I've had were at 10 baggers or 15 baggers, like probably Treat, my largest holding, they're within my ISA. Mm. So they're, they're protected, really. And, of course, the ISA today is probably the most attractive yeah. rapper yeah. Uh, in the Western world, you know, free, of, <laughs> free of income tax, free of capital gains tax. If you, if you invest in qualifying AIM companies, free of inheritance mm -hmm. tax. And also on death now, you can transfer the benefits from husband to wife. So, you know, that's a very, very attractive, um, uh, attractive package. So really, you know, I would encourage anyone to, to invest in a stocks and shares ISA and build up their portfolio on that basis. What about your failures uh, in investing? Um, well, over the years, yes, the, you know, the, but certainly been failures. I remember being um, seduced some years ago by the very attractive dividend yield on HMV, right. who had the, you know, <laughs> the chain of shops, and um, you lost some money on on. on on that, although there has there has actually more recently, as you probably know, been a revival in vinyl records, but I certainly lost there. I remember I lost a company that, one, that was one of the three distributors of, of newspapers and periodicals, and um, they lost out to the bigger ones, Smith's News and and um, uh, Mengis. You know, they they became virtually, virtually worthless, and so that was a loss. And of course, right at the start of my investing life, as I said earlier, yeah. for old aviation shipping in my, <laughs> my one ship. So I've had my losses, but... Um, it's about learning from your losses. Though, you learn it? from your losses. We all make mistakes. Uh, you know, there is no one, no one either who, who, who gets it right every time. But the key is to, to, to I believe, let your, let your profits run. Mm -hmm. And if you made a mistake, if you've got something wrong, and clearly you've got it wrong, face up to it, take the loss on the chin, and, and move on, get out, sell, take the loss and move on. Because if you leave it in your portfolio, apart from the financial risk of it going down even more, every time you look at your portfolio and see that share where, you, where you're losing money, 
or every time you hear the name of that share that company mentioned, yeah. it pricks at you, as it were. It it, in, it, it destroys your confidence. It the is psychological, psychologically, it inhibits yeah. you. So, for financial reasons and and emotional, mental reasons, if you've made a mistake, we all make mistakes. Take it on the chin <laughs> and move on. There are many, you know, there are many other fish out there yeah. to 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 catch and fry. Um, and just to finish off, what advice would you give to your younger self if you were starting out investing again? To 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 take it steadily, to only invest in in good established companies, smaller ones if you like. Learn from your mistakes. Read up as much as you can. Keep in touch with the financial press, uh, the company annual reports. Try to get to some company annual meetings if you can and assess management and um, uh, just accept that, accept that you will never get everything right, uh, that you will make mistakes, but to take the long view uh, and remember that, that, that what you're doing when you buy a share is effectively to buy a small piece, a slice of a growing business. You are part owner of it and you want that business to grow and expand and your state will grow and expand with it over the over the years so it really is it really is common sense but only do it if you if you enjoy it and the, and the final point is apart from never never invest on borrowed money always keep some cash out of the market as it were um what i term uh, you know heart bypass money or family <laughs> emergency money because you never want to have anything everything in the stock market because yeah. if you do when it goes down substantially uh, i remember a time in the 70s where uh, the stock market really fell, yeah. and no one was buying. Fell so uh, by more than seventy percent. Really, it really, it really fell. <laughs> so, the, so you you never know what is going to cause that sort of fall. But you've got to be in a position to say, well, it has fallen, mm-hmm. but I'm in some very good companies. I'm going to stay with them, yeah. and you will see all the world recovery and further growth. So, note for today: take the long view. <laughs> take the take the long view. Apply common sense. Okay, Lord Lee. Thank you very much. It's been a pleasure. My pleasure, James. Thank you. Don't forget, you can access more great content, including Master Investor magazine at masterinvestor.co.uk. If you enjoyed this podcast, you can support us by hitting the subscribe button and by leaving a review. If you've got any suggestions about who you'd like us to interview or topics you'd like us to cover, please send us an email at info at masterinvestor.co.uk. Thanks for listening.